The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson from Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we're trying granita, melons, and giant heads of lettuce on a visit to Sicily as the island emerges from the pandemic. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with my good friend, Sondra Bernstein, and we have got the king of the one-liners in the kitchen with us today. Sondra, you want to go ahead and do the formal introduction? Yes, I, you were researching. I love that. Um, <laughs> old, dear, not old, because he's certainly not old. He looks amazing, even though you can't see him, but we've got there. Rick Orlando on with us today. Um, I was trying, Rick, I was trying to think when we first met. Was it Epcot? Um, I think we, no, Sante, probably, or maybe we, I had come before Sante Mm -hmm. up to Sonoma, and I think I introduced, with my wife, and I had introduced myself in the restaurant, and then we came again and stayed in the uh, little, little um, cabins that you had. That's right. For a Valentine's, I was, we had met once, and then my, I was doing a consulting job for a company called Hits. Horses in the Sun. They're like an equestrian group oh. and they're based near me, but they do a huge winter series down in the desert in Ocala, not Ocala, um, uh, Indio, you know, that area, yeah. Thermal. And I was there for three months. First time I ever said to my wife, I'm going for three months. The money was ridiculous. I had to set up like an organic uh, concession for... For horses or for the people? No, for like Schwarzenegger's <laughs> kids and... Oh, and nice. Bill Gates' kids, there's an airstrip in thermal. So, oh, I mean, I never was exposed to that kind of money. It was ridiculous. But I went down and I had, there was a two-weeker, 13-day break in the middle of uh, February. Mm-hmm. And Valentine's Day fell. So my wife flew down to L.A., visited me. And I said, let's drive up to wine country. And we drove up and we had dinner with you guys and stayed in your little, little place. And then we did uh, Sante. And you were not the second Sante, I think, in 11, we did Sante yeah. again. Did yeah, we, yeah, we saw you. We, we ate it. We ate it the, uh, when you had the Italian Italian thing going, right? Next right. door to the girl in the fig? Yes, we ate there. Yes, yes. Just down the street. Yes. Uh, yeah. Estate yeah. or Estate, yeah. Whatever. Estate, 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 yeah. Estate. <laughs> we ate there. And um, then I came with my mother a few years later. Remember my wacky mother who, my mother loves food, but she, you know, she doesn't go to restaurants. She's just not that kind of, she does, but she goes out for fried clams and lobsters. Mm-hmm. But she goes to the casinos in Connecticut a lot, and she won a four-night, four-day, three-night uh, excursion to wine country. Nice. And at the Meadowbrook, but it was in early December. We had to go in early December when everything's closed and like, uh. quiet. But still beautiful. Oh, yeah. Well, she didn't. She was like, I don't know. I don't want to go. I've never <laughs> been there. Who do I know? I said, I'll take you. So I, I took my mother uh, to wine country for a few days. And it was great. I mean, everywhere we went was mellow. We ate with you. You were super generous. She'll never forget it. Oh, and she nice. loves you. You're one of her girlfriends. You know, my mother's been in the closet <laughs> her whole life. And she's got all these girlfriends she loves. Uh-huh. We got to go be see Sandra again. You know, I said, one of these days. Wow, we'll that's so cute. And she's I, great. She's, I can't remember anything. I think I've got early Alzheimer's. And yeah. Yeah. No, you just, just have 
You just have restaurant brain. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Because now that I'm not running a restaurant every day, I remember the weirdest things. I can't remember like the name of the person next to me Uh or what this vegetable is called anymore. (laughs) But I remember a lot of stuff. You know, it's kind of fun. Your brain starts to change its shape, sort of like a flower that, you know, is starting to lose its petals but forming seeds. That's what my brain is doing. That's a nice uh, way to say it. (laughs) Yeah, I went, I went into work the other day for the first time in three and a half months and couldn't get on my computer because I have no idea what my username or password is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at work? At work? At work. So I'm uh, sure I have 10,000 emails from wine reps and other people, but uh, I'm kind of glad I can't get on. Yeah. So yeah, the wine reps are really struggling right now. Oh, Boy. Yeah. It is so bad. We have so... They just did inventory. We've got over thirty thousand dollars just in the just in the fig right now. We have over thirty thousand dollars worth of wine. Yeah, that doesn't oh. anything in the warehouse, any any of our house wine. Um, I don't know when we'll buy wine again. Yeah, well, when we opened at New World Bistro Bar for our grab and go, you know, we, what we did is we opened for takeout for a week and it was very chaotic and we closed it down. We, we weren't, we were nervous about social distancing, but then we reopened around Mother's Day and I, I was with the company until for a month, till the end of beginning of June. Mm-hmm. And I made an executive decision to take all the wine we had in the basement, mark them up $10 and sell them to go. And we sold about 300 bottles of wine about a third of our inventory, but I said, we're not doing anything with this wine. And we're really, at that point, I said, we're not going to be open for six months. Right. Getting dusty. Just you pay 25, put it on for 35 to go and just get rid of it. And the customers were thrilled. They were buying two or three bottles, you know, I think we were competing with liquor stores. Yeah. To do like, um, six pack mystery boxes. Yeah. Great idea. Do like really good value. And you know, maybe six bottles for a hundred bucks, you know. Can you sell wine bucks. to go in California? Yeah. Could yeah, you before sell, COVID or not? Uh, well, we have a license that we could. Okay. So, sealed. Um, sealed, you could sell it. But now they're yeah. actually doing open container do alcohol. Cocktails. Yeah, we yeah. do cocktails to go yeah. to, yeah. which is crazy. People were paying it's, 15 bucks for a little pint takeout container of mojito. It's like, whatever, <laughs> take it. They were, I think a lot of the customers were doing it just to love the staff. Our bar manager, Sarah Jane, was uh, you know, a great personality, and people loved her. And She was in charge of the uh, pickup of the prepared food. So when they saw Sarah, they said, oh, you have, do you have your new fashioned? Oh, yeah, I'll make you a few. And she would just bang out drinks for them. But, yeah, it's an so, it, absolutely absurd scene. Yeah, well, why not? Let's just take a step back. We don't have to go all the way back, but you had your restaurant for how many years? We opened uh, the original New World Home Cooking Company in Woodstock in 93, and we ran it for 25 years. And then I uh, contracted as a chef consultant and licensed the name to open in Albany, the people who opened Albany were good friends of mine and they asked me to help them open a restaurant. And I've been involved with the not-for-profit scene in Albany. It's the capital, right? It's like the epicenter of all the not-for-profits. And for so long, and my brand is really hot in Albany, even though I was 45 miles south in Woodstock, I said, well, the most, the easiest thing I can tell you is just open the same restaurant here. So we did. So that was, I was there from 2009 until a month ago. So that was 11 years. 
-hmm. Yeah, the Woodstock restaurant, 25, we ran our course. My wife is lawyering. Mm -hmm. It wasn't making enough money to keep battling the battle and we put it on the market and we couldn't get the number we wanted while it was operating. A lot of people said, you know, it'd be like trying to sell Girl in the Fig, but not selling mm -hmm. the fig. You right. can have this building. People are like, we can't right. buy this restaurant. People are going to be expecting the fig for the next five right. years. Exactly. So we, we gracefully closed, locked the door, mm -hmm. and then sold the building after for okay. a lot less money. Did you but own the real estate? Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. It, it is, you know, it is. It's, I just did a little consulting for some people who were doing like a cafe and brewery. And I said, you know, the last thing you want to do is own the building. <laughs> I said, get a lease. With an option, uh -huh. and if things look really good, then buy it. But you know, we found with our restaurant in Woodstock, we were there so long, and we were such a community fixture that it was really hard to sell. People would say, "What's this? Oh, it's New World. Oh no, we can't buy that because without Rick, it's not New World." But I'm like, "Well, don't you're not getting the name, right? But no, but the building. You know, it was a big old barn. It, it, it was uh -huh. an iconic space that intimidated people from buying it. So no, I'm you know, sorry, I never got there." Yeah, yeah, it's okay. I'll send you a picture someday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. great though, you know, and I still do yeah. pop-ups in the, in the community and you know, the tricky thing about doing, I mean, I do different types, but people want what they had at the old restaurant so much that it's like, okay, I'll do those same five dishes again. What was your most popular item? Well, you know, this is kind of absurd, but the pan black and string beans were the most popular dish probably in the Hudson Valley. It was a little dish that I had a lot of vegans and I had to do a party and I traveled to New Orleans a lot and I came up with this pan black and string beans thing. And then next thing you know, I was on the Today Show. I was on Good Morning America. I was doing this dish all because all these New York City people, it was a novelty dish, but it was delicious and fresh and, and uh -huh. vegan and spicy. I mean, what more do you want out of life, right? Right. Um, I started my first podcast was called One Million String Beans. I, I remember. That's, <laughs> I did no, the math and I said, I've sold yeah. over a million string beans. Uh -huh. um, our, oh, our, our Ropa Vieja, our Cuban pot roast was really, really popular. Um, that, you know, a lot of the, the staples, when I started the restaurant, I it was in the you know, late 90s. Nouvelle Cuisine was faded, fading and there was a real... Uh, backlash and I wanted to create comfort food with a story not just bar I didn't want to do bar food I want to do ethnic mm -hmm. I, I'm you know I played in bands I lived in small cities I love the mom and pop ethnic restaurants and I wanted to represent that food and it worked out it was a, it became a brand and it became a thing that I'm still you know called on to do you know hey we're doing a Moroccan thing can you tell us about making you know harissa I'm like yeah that's what I do I mean <laughs> I'm everybody. I'm everybody's grandmother. I make the latkes for. Uh, I mean, yeah. I beat Bobby Flay making latkes, right? I make the latkes for the Woodstock Jewish congregation. I did for 15 years. You know. Wait, wait. Can we stop on the latkes for a minute? <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> I have a wife that's gluten free, so I have I have learned to use the potato starch. You know, I'm mm -hmm. I'm, I'm grating the potatoes. I'm squeezing out the the liquid, mm -hmm. and then I let it sit in the bowl for a little bit and drain drain the liquid out, but keep some of that potato starch. So I have, I have, I've never seen you make potato pancakes or latkes before. So I'm curious, what are, what are some of your tricks? So mine are gluten-free as well. I use okay. potato starch and corn starch because too much potato starch makes them rubbery. Okay. Oh. And I don't drain them. 
And then why is it that you put the first one in the pan in a mound? <laughs> I don't I don't know, because they're the best, because I get a really, <laughs> here's the deal. I've watched people squish latkes, yeah. squishing them, in, and I just find they come out greasy as all get out, as they say in Texas. So I let them get it. I put them, I, I toss them like a little baseball, and the centrifugal force kind of pulls them together. I also do about two thirds on the box grater or in the Roboku, and another third in a mandolin, because that was the way I learned how to make the French potato galettes, right? With the julienne crispy, so you want that crispy. And then uh, you cook them on one side, so they're sealed. They seal, they get nice and crispy. Then I turn them over and then I press them down. I don't know, they're, they're, they're just really good. They're a little thicker, yeah. they're, they're a little hybrid, but boy, the Yentas love them. Applesauce <laughs> or sour cream? Well, I mean, I like sour cream. I like salmon roe. I like Gravlox. I like, you know, but I, we did them both. Um, applesauce, sour cream. Um, we make homemade chipotle applesauce with duck cracklings. I mess around with a whole bunch of different things. But sour cream was the main. We yeah. did something called luxury latkes, which was, you know, cured, cured sockeye salmon with salmon roe and, and like a creme fraiche. We would do like a quick creme fraiche where we'd add it little buttermilk sour cream and leave it out for a while so it was thicker than creme fraiche but that was the that was the biggest hit i think was the luxury lot because people love that that's and they got like a nice spoonful of salmon roe on each one so are you self-taught yeah did you more or less i mean i would never i didn't teach myself i learned from other people but i didn't go to school and i'm i now at this point i can say i'm world taught <laughs> well, yeah yeah i mean i took a few few butchering seminars and fish cutting seminars at different places but now i'm like and i worked with some really good people when i was when i was young and you know we came up around the same time i worked in the 80s at harvest in cambridge massachusetts with lydia shire with bob kincaid with uh i mean julia child was a regular sarah moulton mm -hmm. molly o'neill chris lessinger they all worked in the harvest kitchen when i was a line wow. cook that's cool. So you learn all this stuff like by osmosis or basically, I'm not going to curse. I was going to say by fucking up, but I'm you not going to say it. I'm joking. You <laughs> learn you learn how not to do things more than how to do things, you know. Right, right. Don't dump the stock. Ladle the stock, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot. I, you know, it's funny. I learned what you should do what you shouldn't do. And I also learned what I want to do and what I don't want to do. There are certain rules that I break on purpose. Mm -hmm. And there are certain rules that I follow to a T because that's, that's how I want my food to be. You know, I used to torture my cooks when they would make a soup and every single vegetable was, you know, a third inch diced. And I would go out and buy a can of Campbell's soup and say, your soup looks like that, dude. I said, make it look human, you know, a little variation's good. It's a soup, you know? So I, I always would try to get people to relax and, and have some their own feel in the food, not just make everything like it was from a book. But I mean, I listen, I used to sit, when I was at Harvest and I went from the front of the house to the kitchen, I was way over my head. I had done basic cooking as a kid, but mostly front of the house. But when Bob Kincaid opened 21 Federal, he took most of the crew and the new chef said, can you work in the kitchen? I was like, sure. And I committed, I did lunch because I was in music and I didn't want to work at night, but lunch was busy and we had a daily menu and it'd be a note saying, you know, we have a case of jicama, a bunch of scrap from grouper and some fresh artichokes in the walk-in, use them up. Well, there was no Google back then. Right? There was like, there was the new James Beard, 
Right. There was, you know, gastronomique. Maybe there was a silver palette cookbook. So you were going to the right. index and looking things up and hoping it was right. It yeah. was a different way of learning, you know? Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. We did, uh, every Mother's Day, we would do a different themed dinner. And one year, I wanted to do the great women chefs and cookbook Ooh. writers. So we did Julia, we did Mother Joffrey, we had Diana Kennedy, um, uh, Paula Wolford. I, I brought their books in, right? The Foods of Southwest France, book Middle Eastern Food. And I was sitting with all these young culinary students, and I said, somebody just look up um, in Paula Wolford. She's got a really great recipe for like a classic goat cheese salad. And they start flipping through the pages. And I'm like, just look at the index. <laughs> nope. Not one cook even is. knew what an index was, let alone <laughs> how to look up a dish of the index. But I, I, I love books. I'm an avid reader. And I've learned to sit on slow nights and just, you know, read James Beard's American Cookery. And say, oh, that's what a ramp is. I mean, we were cooking Ooh. ramps 30 years yeah, ago because yeah. James Beard talked about ramps, you know? Yeah. So I tell all my cooks read, and they're like, uh, "Is it on TikTok?" I'm like, "No, yeah. it's not on TikTok. <laughs> it's not on TikTok. <laughs> You're not gonna find it on TikTok." <laughs> is um, oh my god, I had it and then it escaped me. Well, how about Sandra? I want to ask about New Haven subculture, and uh, not a not about subculture that you're thinking of, but subculture. I'm just wondering like, if you'll talk a like little a bit about hoagie? hoagies and heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So New Haven, I grew up in New Haven. I was there until I was 22. And I started out in the food business there. And actually, I was really lucky because I ended up getting, I worked in like sandwich shops, like all the kids did. And New Haven is, I think still, but at that time had the highest percentage of Italian Americans of any city over 100,000. It was 22% of the city was Italian American. Wow. And it had a very active working port and um, industrial scene, even though there's Yale there, it had a lot of factories until like the 70s and 80s when that all faded. So there's a lot of, there was a lot of workers food, right? Mm. Pizza's legendary and we can get into that. New Haven pizza is a cult now, literally. With but clams. subs, pardon? With clam pies? Clam pie, tomato pie, peppies, sallies. Yeah. I mean, it's to the point with social media now that you go to those pizza places and stand outside for an hour or two before you get in and get your pizza. Right. It's unreal. Um, but the subs thing, yeah, I, I, subs were very, very um, big. I remember the Forbes market and Andy market, Andy's market, they were down by the docks and they were little grocery stores that served mm. subs out of the back with the, the, the menu was written on the little frilly paper plates and taped to the deli window. Today, oh, broccoli robin sausage. <laughs> Today, roast pork and mushrooms. Uh -huh. And and they uh -huh. were they were this you know something that we grew up on. And the other one is broccoli bread and spinach bread, which I've actually made for people, uh -huh. where you would just take bread dough or pizza dough and roll it out, cook spinach or broccoli with garlic, squeeze it out, stuff it in the middle, and bake it. And they would serve them in these foil bags as like a blue collar workers lunch a big thing of spinach bread awesome yeah. right oh. so yeah there's definitely a culture definitely a culture of that really like workers food like hearty calabrese neapolitan style food i mean you can get spaghetti and meatballs but it was a lot heartier than that you know the broccoli rob and sausage subs oh i love that were so great and they were so big and i remember looking over the counter at andy's when i was eh, in my late teens early 20s and they had a whole, uh, probably a 36 inch griddle 
just piled with the robs and sausage and the grease. And it was, they would take a spatula and kind of squeegee it into these whole loaves of Italian bread <laughs> and stick it right back in the bag the bread came from. And you might've read it in one of the blogs I was writing that you, that you had, there was a secret to eating it. And that was, you had to lean forward with your feet back and your sleeves rolled up because when you ate it, so much grease <laughs> fell out of the sub that it would get all over your shoes. So yeah, they were, that, that, that's definitely, uh, that kind of food has an influence on you. I don't make like that exact food, but those flavor profiles yeah. still still really ring true with me, you know. Mm -hmm. Are you are you near Poughkeepsie? Are you near the yeah. um yeah, so in the culinary, sure. Yeah. So yeah, you got a lot of students coming out of there. Yeah, we were a, a really active extern house for till about two thousand eight or nine. Uh we still brought some in, but in the early days, um, externs, We're many of them 30. became, well, they were cheap, right. <laughs> not, not in New York, but they a lot of them became um, permanent fixtures in my business, at least for a year, sous chefs, mm -hmm. chefs of cuisine. Uh, there was a really high caliber of student at the CIA until they, I think somewhere in the late 2000s, they changed the admissions policy from a two-year, you used to have to have two years of experience. Mm -hmm. in an accredited restaurant like we got accredited so if you work for me for two years you can get in the cia that went away now you don't have to work anywhere you can just go to the cia so now it's more like a community college right except that um to have interns you have to be accredited yeah so yeah and, and one of my best friends is michael weiss yeah. do you know michael weiss uh, um that you know who he is really familiar yeah he's a he's the six foot seven inch uh senior wine instructor at cia okay and back in the day before the liquor laws got stringent when there was wine dinners everywhere we would do dinners at the culinary and you know jack Capebridge would fly in maureen lalonis and lawrence sterling and they come they'd be coming to the culinary to do a, a napa thing so mike would say rick Let's do a dinner. So we did, I did, I think over the years, Michael and I have did probably about a hundred wine dinners. Wow. And a lot of them, we would do them at the CIA first and then at my restaurant. I mean, that's how I got to be buddies with Chris Benzinger. He's sleeping at my freaking house because he'd come to a wine dinner oh. and get so tanked. And I'm like, you're not driving back to your hotel at <laughs> the Gipsy, bro. Come on over, you know. But that was, that was when the winemakers were able to bring their own wine and you were able to pour it. And they stopped that in New York. Yeah around 2009 or 10 you were not you're not supposed to get anything free mm -hmm. so we you know it really hurt the wine dinner um margins for sure right and it drove people to doing cheaper wines or, or just sucking up to a salesperson saying what do you want me to pour where right. back in the day man we would just like tap the winemakers for the best they had and just do these amazing dinners you know mm -hmm. and michael and i always tried to push the envelope we did a a dinner at the culinary which was very controversial around the turn of the century and let's say that funnily like late 90s <laughs> where it was south asian food with wine uh, which was yeah. a big challenge but also they were you, you you can't you can't serve that food with right. wine. we and we tasted we would do these tasting parties we would open 60 to 100 bottles of wine mm. for one dish over two or three <laughs> nights trying to find what can go with black pepper tamarind sauce and not be an antagonist you know was it red was it pink was it white was it and you know oh my god those those we call them r&d debauchery parties but <laughs> just keep tasting nope nope dump them dump them dump them uh -huh. and then we had well, great sangria at the restaurant after that 
Oh, remember, yeah. remember, Sandra, when you did the, the grappa dinner, that blew my mind. That was, mm -hmm. I think it was five or six courses of food that was paired with grappa, which oh. no one had ever tried to do before. Wow. Chris, Chris Jones, yeah, he did a good job with that. It was, it was a challenge. pretty spot on. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. you can do it. I mean, I, I, you know, because of my journeys to New Orleans, I did an absinthe dinner. Oh. Six course absinthe dinner. Uh, that I would love. And that was, you know, trying not to create the same profile with each dish was like, right. you know, okay, well, this is going to go with roasted carrots and this one's going to go right. with chocolate and this one's going to go with chilies. And yeah, we did absinthe. I did uh, a Don Julio dinner, a tequila dinner, which was also a handful. You know, we gave everybody a, a third of an ounce raw liquor to taste before they got their cocktail and the food so they can kind of taste the tequila and then... Right. Yeah, wine's, wine's the easiest, although beer and cider are pretty easy, too. Yeah. Now, when you have been out to wine country out here, because Hudson Valley is a wine country also, right? Or more of Yeah, a I mean, Hudson Valley is a very old wine country, and there's a few upstart wineries making some pretty cool wines. The Finger Lakes is our real premier mm -hmm. region here. We have some of the best Riesling in, in, in the Western Hemisphere, mm -hmm. and that's what we are known for. And... You know, I did the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago with Megan Frank from Dr. Frank Winery, who's got some of the best first vinifera in New York in the 30s and 40s. But a lot of the wineries um, are understanding what we do. California's helped that. You know, New York tried to grow Merlot and Cabernet for years. It's too cold. It's okay. It's eh, It's whatever. But now you're getting cold weather Chardonnay. You're getting Riesling, Gewürztraminer, uh, stuff like Vidal Blanc, um, Gruner Veltliner that grow fantastically here. And the Finger Lakes are amazing for that because they're these 3,000 foot lakes that even though it's zero degrees, the mile perimeter around the lake doesn't freeze because the lake's so cold. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. And uh, it's funny, when I was here for the last Sante, I was on a wine panel with a few other sh uh, people and all they wanted to talk about was New York Riesling. Wow. Because they, you know, it, it's kind of a, it, everyone's writing about it now because it's the next big thing you know mm -hmm. the oldest thing is the next big thing right are you familiar with the uh, terroir in new york mm -hmm. they have the wine bar where they have 40 rieslings by the glass yeah, that's their that's thing insane. it's a riesling party so. yeah yeah we, we try and do riesling around here we you know mendocino why would you, why would you drink riesling in sonoma i mean it's like it's, it's like drinking cabernet in upstate new york it's like it's not yeah now they try and do it in mendocino and then i think washington and oregon have dabbled a little bit but you're right in in the Finger Lakes is the place to go. And you know what? Wait another 10 years, they might be growing cab up there. Right. I mean, every everything is moving up. <laughs> yes. And you know what? Cabernet Franc is start, and Pinot Noir are starting to establish themselves um, yeah, pretty well in our market. You know, more what you get from the very top of Alsace, uh, you know, that that style of Pinot Noir. So it's a lot leaner, a lot more cherry. Yeah. But they're, they're, you know, they're okay. There's a couple of really good ones, but not... A, a lot of the wineries have to make enough money, you know, so they make a lot of wine that's okay, and then yeah. they make a few wines that are great, you know, and the sparklings are really good. I mean, Dr. Frank's sparklings are fantastic because they've got that cold weather Chardonnay and that cold weather Pinot, which actually make a nice sparkling wine because they're not overly fruity. Um, the Chardonnays all taste like apples up here, which is funny because we grow a lot of apples, but they all taste <laughs> like apple anyway, so... Uh -huh. You know, so the, the sparklings are pretty good, actually. But do you think that um, 
I mean, the Hudson Valley is like a farm area growing, like farmer's markets and, you know, specialty food, small producers. Do you think that came way before, like, out here? I think maybe. No, I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, similar paths, a lot of agriculture, but not a lot of farm to table. Mm. You know, you had Alice Waters, which kind of like... Mm -hmm whether she was first or not, established this thing. Mm -hmm. Finger Lakes followed. The thing, I mean, uh, Hudson Valley followed. What was, is amusing, when I opened my restaurant in 1993, I wanted to use a lot of local product because I had been upstate for a few years and I drove to the farms and bought my stuff. Mm -hmm. And there were a few larders, early hipsters, you know, and say, hey, mm -hmm. I got all this list of, you know, Hudson Valley and, and Berkshires and Western Connecticut. And the produce is great here because not unlike where you are, except that we have the full winter, we have very cool nights and very hot days and a lot of humidity. So mm -hmm. you get some really sweet corn and some really sweet tomatoes. I mean, the stuff is beautiful. Yeah, I miss. So I, I started buying from these guys who were literally trucking the food to New York City, selling it at the farmers markets in New York City, like uh, you know the one down in the Union Square, which is the Great. big one, yeah. and then driving it back up. So I was buying from a purveyor that was buying produce from 14 miles from me. Oh, that drove 90 miles down and 90 miles back to sell me <laughs> produce three days old. But now, yeah, right now the Hudson Valley is definitely yeah. one of the epicenters of the East Coast of this whole mm -hmm. scene for sure. And mm -hmm. the Hudson Valley does spread into the Berkshires because mm -hmm. it's, it's become a New York City playground. I mean, yeah. all city people, you know, but the produce is yeah. good. And, and I still buy from some of the old farmers. The old farmers and, still know how to do it. Like, and in Woodstock, um, I guess the reunion got canceled. Is that right? Yeah, that was last year. Yeah. So I'll give you a quick backstory. Woodstock is a little cool little arts community. Has been forever. It started out as an artist colony in the turn of the century. Michael Lang, who started the Woodstock Festival and did the movie and the, the album and all that stuff, did a festival the year before at a little campsite uh, called the Woodstock Aquarian Music and Arts Fest. And Joan Baez played, but mostly locals, mm -hmm. Happy Trom, Artie Trom, John Sebastian was a local, but it was like a folk fest. Mm -hmm. And they got a couple thousand people and it was really exciting. So let's do it again, much bigger. Woodstock wouldn't let him do it here. So he owned the name, but Bethel is 65 miles away from here. Huh. So the festival is 65 miles south uh -huh. <laughs> Over the last 10 years, they built on the old Woodstock site, like a visitor center and a concert venue. Uh -huh. But people still come to Woodstock to be, because yeah. Woodstock is, is a lot like, it's history. I don't know, it's kind of like Calistoga, you know, it's like this little one road town that's super hip and uh -huh. there's new age vibe, there's hippies, there's chefs, there's farmers, a lot of artists and a lot of musicians. We have, you know, tons of musicians. Everyone from David Bowie lived here until he died. Blondie, mm -hmm. the Ramones, and of course, all the folk heroes all live up here. George Clinton from Funkadelic. I mean, it's a weird town when you can go to the little deli and the guy in front of you is David Johansson from the New York Dolls saying, Vinny, cut my turkey thin, will you? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny, it's, it's, it's 7,500 people in the winter and maybe 25,000 in the summer, you know? Wow. 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 Well, what kind of music... Class. What kind of music was was it when you were a teenager that got you playing guitar? Well, 
honestly, when I first started playing guitar, it was probably metal-ish music. Some of the we used to watch Don Kirshner's rock concert and see bands like <laughs> Fog Hat and UFO. But within a very short time, I uh, I discovered underground music. We used to go to the city. It was only like a 45 minute train ride from New Haven and go to Max's Kansas City and go to CBGB's and suddenly like this whole counterculture world opened up. And um, have you guys, you know who Andrew Friedman is? Yeah. Have you seen his book, That's Chefs and Drugs and Rock and Roll? Pardon? Wait, what is it? Chefs and Drugs and Rock and Roll. The PR guy wrote? Uh, he, he's a writer and he has a, the um, Chef's Podcast. Um, uh, what the hell is the name of it? Um, oh God, I'll remember the name of it. He's, he's a writer. He, he wrote, he co-wrote a bunch of books with chefs and then he wrote a book called Chefs and Drugs and Rock and Roll. It came out maybe two years ago. I podcasted with him. Huh. And the book is great because it talks about, there's no real drugs and rock and roll in the book so much, but the parallels from the end of the hippie scene through the new wave underground scene and how that was a parallel path for chefs who no longer wanted to have to make Chateaubriand. And they related to Patti Smith and they related to Lou Reed, and they related to the Ramones because they said, we could do that. We could be that iconoclast in simplicity as well. And it's an interesting, and he has interviews with everyone from Wolfgang Puck all the way right through uh, Larry Forgeo. Like, history goes from like 72 to 88, which parallels a lot the underground music scene, how that changed, how that gave you the Nirvanas and all this stuff, but where it started from and how many of the chefs like that kind of music. Mm-hmm. How many of the chefs went to those kind of clubs on their night off? They weren't hippies. They weren't jazz cats. They were people that went and saw bands in the dive bars. You know, that was what we did. So I did both. I cooked during the day. And then all my cooks <laughs> would come see me play at night. And I'd shake my head and do whatever it took to get back in the kitchen at 9 o'clock and start all over again, you know? God, those are good days, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. What about, um, are, is cannabis legal in New York? I can't remember. It's decriminalized. Okay. It's legal right over the border in Massachusetts. And there's a dispensary in Pittsfield, which is like a mile over the border. Traffic is crazy. Yeah. But we do a but CBD is legal. So there's a lot of CBD dinners and okay. CBD food events and stuff. Uh-huh. We'll probably, probably this year with what yeah. happened to our economy, cannabis will be legal very soon. Right, right. The tax yeah. Revenue. yeah, we're going to see a lot of interesting things, I think, come come out of all this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, I mean, we, we got creamed, you know? Yeah, I, I don't see a huge, um, I think there are people like experimenting with it here, you know, for full-on meals and stuff, mm-hmm. but it has, it's not a big thing. No, I've done a few columns, uh, edible recipe columns for different magazines and stuff, and you know, the problem is if you make it right, you can't have multiple courses. Right, exactly. <laughs> Dinner's exactly. over, everybody watch yeah. TV. <laughs> Here we go. I know, I just saw somebody advertising their products as fast-acting edibles. Huh. Like, okay, is that... Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I dabble. Yeah, I have lots, I have lots of, of butter. How would I get to sleep every night? I yeah. have no idea. Well, so, yeah, Sandra, it's, it's, I think that that fast acting is important because too many people that aren't familiar with edibles will, will I, eat something, I and then forty-five minutes later, they're they're thinking, 
I, I didn't take enough. I'm not feeling anything. So then they'll eat more. And then all of a sudden, whoa, bam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had these people on the podcast. Oh, Garden super, Society, super cool. And the people that make the chocolates are make Volo chocolate. So the mm. fact that like they make the most delicious milk chocolate, which I, I wish I ate dark chocolate, but I love milk chocolate and so between the two companies they did a good job wow yeah there's a lot of that here it's just not I in bet. the stores yet the chocolate right. i have a, a friend um fruition chocolate my friend brian he's a genius and he brings in pods um from places most all new world pods colombia some still from venezuela mexico and builds chocolate and uh, we've experimented with some of his stuff. It's yeah, pretty intense. Yeah, pretty intense. So what? So what are you going to do? I mean, you're not considering yourself retired. Oh hell no. 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 That well, never happened. I'm in the inbox. You know, I've had this <laughs> inbox on my computer for years. Uh-huh. I've got I've, I've got a couple of um, projects that are going now. One is well, one is just for just you know I love to cook. And I love to perform and I love to be part of the vibe and be in it. So I've been doing a pop-up once a month at a little tavern down by the Hudson River that's not operating. And I'm going to be doing a few more here and there. And, you know, again, it's limited seating, but we did one last week. Uh, week No, it'll be Friday. It'll be two weeks. Um, and we had 45 people in a place that holds 80, but they have a balcony overlooking the Hudson. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing these pop-ups. I stopped for the beginning of COVID, but about a year anyway. So... Those are fun because I just pick a theme. Mm-hmm. I just came back from Argentina. We're going to do an Argentinian dinner. I just pick a theme and mm-hmm. cook. And you pay a flat rate. You buy the alcohol from the person who owns the place. Mm-hmm. I, I, I direct her on what wines we need to have. And I cook. So that's good because I get to see my... I get, that's like the gig, right? I get to perform. Mm-hmm. I get to cook. Um, I do cooking classes um, two to four a month now. They used to be one to two a month, but because we can't put 30 in the cooking studio anymore, we can only put 12. I do like a back-to-back, like Monday, Tuesday. And again, that's part of my gig. I get to present. Mine aren't really hands-on cooking classes. We call them Robin Williams cooking classes. They're kind of (laughs) performance art. You watch me cook and I tell you all about it and you eat. Uh, But they're fun. Uh, So I'm still doing those because that's, that's that need I have to be connect with the customer. Mm-hmm. But I have um, I have a line of uh, spice blends that were key spice blends in my restaurant that they're going pretty well. I'm selling. I, I got a name, which is fascinating because we were able to trademark the name Flavor Maker Spices, so we have mm-hmm. that. And I have a bo- a line of bottled uh, products that is in development now. Hopefully by September, mm-hmm. uh, called the Richter Scale, uh, which are like hot sauces and uh, you know Indonesian and, and South Asian sauces. Very so those are. Fun. Those are projects that, have, you know, projects that when you have restaurants, you kind of start, you get a few hundred cases made, you sell them to the restaurant, they sell out, you're too busy, you don't redo it, the, date, the label looks out of date, you wait, you wait, and then it's 10 years and people say, remember when you used to make those sauces? Well, I'm doing that, which is fun. Um, I'm making videos now just for fun. I'm doing um, a Facebook Live with uh, Radio Woodstock once a week and I record it and then I turn it into YouTube video after and I'm doing a lot of uh, not-for-profit videos for fundraising stuff Mm -hmm. like where people donate for me to do it online like we're doing now but I'll cook Mm -hmm. and I've been turning those into YouTube videos and the making the videos is fun because I I like to dabble in 
graphic arts and that stuff. So that gives me that fun. So I don't, right. I don't get to design menu covers anymore. Um, <laughs> did you always do your menu covers? Oh yeah, I did all that stuff. I love, I love that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an artsy fartsy nerd. I love yeah. that stuff. You know, I learned how to use Quark Express on my mm -hmm. Mac Performa 631 back in the night, <laughs> you know, um, when it took 10 minutes to save a file. And then I'm also, um, I have a um, couple of writing projects that are, ready you know to market I, I shopped a couple of books and couldn't get really a decent deal um so i might be doing some ebooks but i have i have a, a memoir and then i have cookbooks and i'm, I'm working on that and then i have a, a treatment for um a sh like a netflix style show oh, that you fun. might love it's called off the line mm -hmm. and i had developed this before covid and it was about what happens to chefs who put their life into it and are done and a lot of them are done really with really not a great place, not in a great space. And some of them are in really great spaces. Well, COVID has kind of amplified that. So I just re-upped re that, um, that uh, treatment. And I just sent, started sending them out this week to whatever contacts I have. Because I'd like to produce it. Yeah. If I can be in it and host it, that would be great. But I don't have to. I'd be willing to just write it. So we'll see. Those are, those are some of the many little and, projects. And you're still doing your trip? this year well okay so let's talk about travel let's shall we talk, talk about, about travel no. so i had a sicily trip going um be my second one most spectacular trip ever i've got mm. the best farm to table wacky people there that i mean the people that went on the first trips that they couldn't imagine a more personal experience so i had one for may uh and we had to cancel it so of that, maybe four to six people stayed on. We only take 16. It's a 16-person mm -hmm. trip. I don't like that many people. I can't, right. I can't hug, I mean, you know? a bus, you can get a bus for 20. Yeah, and, and it's cozy, and, and we yeah. eat in smaller restaurants that way, mm -hmm. and we eat in someone's house, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, we had to cancel it. And then the woman I'm working with in Sicily said, just launch it and see what happens for October, October 6th through the 14th. Well, you know, Europe then immediately two days later said, you can't come in here. However, my son works for Scott's Cheap Flights and he has the line on where to, how to fly. He gets the best deals. He sent me a bunch of links. The airlines are giving flights away right now with no rescheduling okay, so fees. Right. Exactly. You can so I'm saying, look, just book this trip. Right. And if it doesn't happen, we'll go in the spring. But you can get a flight round trip right. to Sicily now. They're two twenty-five. Yeah, my Josh, son. Josh just got round trip. My nephew to Tahiti for seven hundred dollars. My son just got them to Japan for three eighteen. That is round insane. trip from New York. Uh, so the, he's taking uh, his brother, my other son. They're going to Japan in the spring. That's yeah, awesome. the, the flights are so cheap. But I'm, I'm just did the first email, but we're going to push it hard to just book it. If we can't do it, we'll go in the spring. If you're worried about it, you can get out of it. But uh, my, yeah. my contacts in Sicily are like saying, please come. They so hardly have any bring, COVID. Do you bring your wife? Or do you well, she, she, um, she doesn't love the group travel experience. So she kind of shows up for the last two or three days. Makes and her, then you have a holiday. Lizzie's here and then we hang out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, perfect. We did, we did Sicily last time, last year. 18, 19, 19. My son was, uh, he rents um, 
John Pepper, who's a photographer and a film producer. He did The World According to Garp and a bunch of films. Um, He's got this awesome little artsy fifth floor walk-up apartment right above the oldest market, the Capital Market. And my son rents it for the month of June for uh, 700 bucks. It's, it's so cheap, right? Mm -hmm. So he was there for the month. My trip left. We were done the last week of May. So we just stayed, you know, and hung out and like lived there. Yeah, lived in Palermo for for a while, and it's like what an experience. I mean, did you go up Mount Edna with the crew? We did, yes, and we okay. drank Etna wines, and um, not everybody took the cable car to the top. That was your choice. We went to oh. a pistachio farm about halfway up, uh. and the the rest of the day was well. You can hang out with these guys at the pistachio farm, or and pick and mm -hmm. and these guys were like the hottest ex heavy metal musicians. They had the hair and the <laughs> looked like they were in Guns N' Roses, you know? And uh, a lot of the women wanted to stay there yeah. and hang out with those guys. And, and then you go to the top. Yeah, I went to Etna, um, we went down to Agrigento, uh, and then we went up um, to um, Trop uh, Tropani, but below there is where they grow, where they make Marsala. Mm. And one of the hottest white wines coming out of Italy now is Grillo. And Grillo is the great that they make Marsala out of. It dawned on them that, oh boy, we don't have to like let this get oxidized and sweet. It's pretty damn tart and tasty, almost like a Savio Blanc style, you know, quaffer. So we went to a couple of places that made Grillo, which uh, has become everyone's like summer deck wine now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we went to it. We we, at the end, we go to Santa Anastasia, which is the big flagship winery there that, uh, you know, makes the Nero Davila and the great rosés and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we did three wineries during the trip. Awesome. I know. I so uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm. I'm not I'm not ready. Are to you doing on... them? Cruises? No. no, I don't, you know, really scared me about yeah. getting on a ship again. Yeah. Ships, I mean, ships are a little scary. You can't run. No, no. And then you, people were like stuck on it for like 37 days after. I mean, I, oh, I said for a long time, when I'm done, I'm going to have saved enough money to go on a ship for like three years, mm -hmm. pick different world cruises, you know, if people wanted to meet me in a certain city and then I could fly to the next port and, you know, at the end of three years, just jump off the deck and I'm done, you know, yeah. now there's. I'm like, I don't want to get on a ship and get sick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like when you really start thinking about the virus and like germs and, I mean, I'm not a good housekeeper by any stretch. I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like part of me, I don't get sick because I don't always wash my vegetables. Exactly. I want I, that real earthy bacteria. That's what I think keeps us healthy. I, when I do my cooking classes, I would, I, it's funny because the last class I did was the first one post-COVID. One of my guests who comes to a lot of my classes said, so what's up with your happy pathogens now, Rick? Is that over? I was like, yeah. I would talk about not wearing gloves when you cut your fish and chicken because right. you want to have that contact with that. And suddenly I'm doing a cooking class with a mask and gloves yeah. on and sanitizer. Yeah. And it's not up my alley. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a real proponent of, of hand sanitizer. I thought it was the worst. I was yeah. a proponent of so many of these things. And suddenly... I've got to just kind of be quiet. Yeah. Don't go there, you know? Right, right. 
I'm trying to embrace it all, but I'm right. You know, I think as long as I keep writing the rules and writing these emails and, you know, doing Q codes and, you know, whatever, it'll talk myself out of it. But well, I mean, you know, the restaurant now is, is really, and the restaurants have always been clean, sanitary places, but now it's like, you have to wear it on your sleeve in a way, you know, yeah. and, you, and you have to buy that stuff that you never bought before that right. quat stuff they use in meat processing yeah. plants yeah. that we do not breathe, do not look at, do not store yeah. near your dog. But, you know? you know, I don't want to review about someone not doing a good job cleaning. Right. You know, exactly. it's one thing you don't like our food, you don't like our food, but mm -hmm. you don't like the way we clean. Like you shouldn't be going out. Right. And, you know, we've always been, my restaurants have always been as clean as the next guys or yeah. cleaner. But at the same time, you know, it's like it's rock and roll and, and you can't. You can't now. It's got to be more hospital than rock and roll. Yeah, you can't watch 60 people every single second <coughs> of their time. You just, there's no yeah. way. Yeah. There's no way. And then the glove thing is a big challenge yeah. because, again, kids put on gloves and they think, I'm safe. I'm like, your gloves are contaminated. Change your gloves. Change your gloves. Yeah, Change your constantly. Gloves. Like, what's the point of a glove? I mean, I think gloves are more disgusting than not wearing a glove because yeah. you feel, you can't feel it. You touch it. You're, what's the difference? You touch it with your hand. At least it's wet and you know you should wash your hands. Yeah, well, with a glove, you're just like schmutzing it all on everything. Oh, Sandra, I had to wear gloves the other night. and What color were your gloves? They are, there's light Purple. blue and there's light blue and dark blue, I guess, depending on the the size. And it and it's funny, you know, because I'm running all I'm running all over the hotel. So sometimes I'm putting on the small ones and they I can't get them on. And sometimes I got right. the two big ones. But you wear them for five minutes. When you take them off, your hands are wet. Oh, it's yeah. gross. Because you're they're sweating in them. And they're they feel yucky. They um, what is it? It's um, they banned. What is but, the material? Uh, latex. latex. In yes. California, right? California. Latex is illegal. Mm -hmm. um, you wear the vinyl yeah. ones. Yeah. Which yeah. are like condoms. They're gross. It, it, seriously. Yeah. 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 And, it, you know, like I said, I, I have to wear them. I, did, I just, yeah. just did a cooking class, and I went through nine pairs of gloves in an hour yeah. and a half cooking class. And Well, when you're teaching, I think you have to pass some of that stuff on right now. Anyway. Well, there was a certain point where I said, listen, I'm not going to wear gloves for this part. You're not going to eat this food. The food you're going right. to eat is already prepped. But I can't brunoise carrots with gloves on. Right. I can't get. I can't do it. You know. No. I can't get there. I can't get the wishbone out of a chicken with gloves on. I need to feel right. it. You know. Right. Exactly. And I explain that. And I always tell people, you know, one of the greatest experiences that humans have is the tactile experience. And if we forget how to touch food, we're done as as a race. We need yeah. to be able to dig in the dirt play with our food you know my wife always laughs because every time i garden i was gardening today my fingernails are black right <laughs> i'm just in the dirt you know yeah i just planted a bunch of wild fennel which uh, i'm jealous because you have it everywhere out there but we don't yeah. have it here but i got uh, got seeds from italy so nice i when i came back my last trip to italy uh or actually not my last one but the the one before that i had bought like 60 euros worth of seeds and i got they got confiscated yeah you have to put them in your pants i hope they don't you know 
Oh my God. Oh, just hope surprised. they don't germinate on the way over. Yeah. The plane. No. I, no, I brought I, the... no, I'm tagged. You know, I think they're going to check me every time I come back from somewhere. I brought in 2006, I bought a half a dozen packs of arugula and puntadel. Mm. And I still have them and still growing in my yard. Wow. They, first, first of all, they self propagate. But second of all, I save the seeds every year. Yeah. And there's no such thing as arugula until you've had arugula from Puglia. It's so peppery yeah. and so flimsy and so hot. And then you buy those little plastic boxes of organic arugula, and it's like, well, this is just tastes yeah. like grass trimming. It's yeah. not the same. I yeah. It's not the same. I love that stuff. And it's funny, I was at my, my wife's brother has a, an acre of land in Sayville. I've got three acres here, and he has all the same Italian. He brought his seeds back from Puglia also, so we have all the great killer arugula going, so it's, it's fun. I'm just picturing, uh, Sandra, I'm picturing you with all those seeds in your pocket and then them germinating and someone saying, nice bush. <laughs> are those microgreens? Or are you just glad to see me? <laughs> uh, that's, that's awesome, Brian. Yeah, yeah, no, that, I, I literally put, the, put them in my, in my underwear. Wow. Just packs of seeds because I, I knew they'd take them away. Yeah. But then I found that you can buy them in well, certain I think markets in New York. You can, you can order. And I'm, I've been interested in D Dan Barber's seed company, Row 7 or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, really some beautiful produce. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's like a, a little too precious, maybe, as a project. I'll let you say that. Yes. To me, well, it's I don't too know precious. him. So, yeah. No, no. He's a great guy. And, and, yeah. and his project is great. But... Yeah, it's it's a little precious to have one of your courses be a fermented baby carrot. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, I like to make food. And frankly, you know, yeah. the older I get, the more I'm coming back to teaching people how to take everyday things and turn them into magic. Because that's what I get when I travel to Europe or when I travel to Peru. I spend time in Peru. I mean, the food there is out of this world. And aside from the fact that, you know, they have stuff like potatoes and stuff that we don't grow, they make it with everyday food. It's not like they're getting some kind of $17 a pound root. This, this is the cilantro, but we use the root, we right. use the stem, we use the leaf, we use the green buds, we use the green seeds, we use the dry seeds. We get it all from one plant. Right. And so I, I like to teach people that, you know, you don't need to spend $100 on a meal at home. Let the restaurants do that. Right. That's why you're coming to us because we get the stuff you right. can't get. Yeah. At home, you have tomatoes, don't mess with them. Right. It's one of my biggest challenges as a chef for the time I was a chef, as the next generations of cooks would come in, they would get more excited about a raw ingredient than a finished dish. And I, I love great raw ingredients, don't get me wrong. I get excited about them, but I get just as excited about a kick ass beefsteak tomato. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that because you have to get excited about wintered parsnips. They're not baby. They're big. They're ugly. They're dirty. But boy, do you get wintered parsnips in California? Do you do that? I think we have parsnips. You leave them. No, the parsnips. Well, we we leave them in the ground over the winter, and you pick them in the spring. Oh, I have no. So idea. they kind of get I like almost like ice wine. Huh. They kind of because they're only oh. they're only a few inches in the soil, huh. so they'll freeze. But then they kind of come back to life in the spring, huh. and they're the sweetest thing you've ever. I mean, they're, they're all, we've made. I've made desserts with them. I've made pot de creme with mm -hmm. wintered parsnip juice. You know, it's that sweet. Oh. But um, 
So, you know what else I was thinking? Have you seen any of the shows on Quibi? You know, you're the second person to tell me about that. I think that's where you should send your show. You're the second person to say exactly those words. So my my sister-in-law, Regina Corrado, Mm -hmm. wife's little sister, has become a high-powered television writer. She was waiting tables for us 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. One of her latest big projects was she and David Milch wrote the Deadwood movie together. I mean, she's killing it. And she said, you got to be on Quibi. She just told me this last week on, a, so on a Zoom. So yeah. you could be her sitting right there telling me the <laughs> same thing. You. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to, when we're done, I'm going to look into it and different. sign up. Yeah, it's different. Um, and they're 10 minutes, right? Max yeah, they're like, like yeah, seven, 10 minutes. Um, the guy from Los Angeles, Funky, mm-hmm. has a show. And his shows, each one is, he, he's in Italy and he's meeting the mamas and the grandmas mm-hmm. and he's learning how to make these types pasta. of pasta yeah. that you don't see anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's actually, it's kind of well done. That's funny. We actually well pitched that yeah. show we went before we went to Sicily of doing yeah. a, Here I Am in Sicily with these people learning how to make rice balls. Yeah. No, well, that's, that's a great idea because it's fun. You know, I have a good friend who does uh, content uh, creation and curation for Netflix. Mm-hmm. And he, I send him my treatment. He goes, dude, I love you. I love your show. Figure out a way to get 100,000 Instagram followers and you have a show. Wow. I'm like, well, how do I do that? Right. I got 4,800 or whatever I have, and I get maybe two a week. And so I don't want to just buy them. No. But, you know, he said people do, you buy some to get the ball rolling and see what happens. But who knows? I mean, I love, I love presenting, and I love presenting in my own quirky way. It just makes me happy. I'm a front man in a band. It's, it's the same That's thing, awesome. right? Yeah, I, I saw you on a YouTube cooking video pull out this horseradish that – <laughs> and I, I swear, and you had you, Made I you excited. Had, I see you, you had four or five ladies sitting in front of you, and I thought trouble was going to start, but it, it it seemed like they, but they were. Better, how did I follow that up? This is the one from the supermarket. Then you had a real one small one, garden, a little tiny one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those videos were kind of campy. See, see, but that would be great. People would love yeah. that. Yeah, I, don't mind. <laughs> I have fun. It's all about having fun. I mean, at this stage of our life. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to take everything I've done, mm-hmm. everything from five weddings at the same time with not enough help to 300 dinners with a broken exhaust hood to the perfect night where everything went great right. and turn it into something that I can just, you know, spend my next 10 years enjoying. I don't think I'll ever retire because I enjoy it too much. Right. How, how yeah, I'm, I'm having a tough time thinking about my next chapter. I mean, mm. really tough time. I am too, so I'm sticking my finger in every little pond okay. and yeah. seeing which fish doesn't bite it off, and we'll see. We'll see what hits, you know? Yeah. Maybe, it's, maybe in a way, my wife says it's a little too scattered, but I'm just trying a little bit of everything right now. Yeah. What are you going to do? I'd yeah. love to come out and, you know, the thing is, I can't even say, oh, let me come out and cook in your restaurant for a weekend because no. it's not, it's not happening. You can't do anything. Yeah. You can't do it. I can't escape. I mean, people are going away close, they're driving, they're taking road trips and right. doing little things, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually playing with doing a Finger Lakes tour in the fall. Oh, nice. Because people feel safe uh, going to the yeah, Finger Lakes. They can go, you know, they can drive there and meet me there. You well, know, or. that. I mean, you have, 
it's like, it's funny, like I would do those cruises like all the way millions of miles away. And, but I'm in Sonoma, a place that people come to, like, why aren't I just doing tours in Sonoma? You know, the same thing. Represent. Beautiful yeah. Valley, like, you know, who's going to know it better than you? You know, the, the yeah, that's, ships are there. And I think, you know, we both travel, have the big city markets, right? You can bring right. people out. I mean, when I tried to do the first, what was it, three years ago, I tried to book a wine country tour. Mm-hmm. And all of my oh, steady oh, clients right. were like, oh, I've been there 10 times. Yeah. I couldn't sell it because they've all done it already, you know? Yeah. And young kids are not paying for these kind of tours. They want to just go barefoot. No, my nephew is total millennial. He's like, yeah, Eric and I are going to Tahiti for two weeks in September. Yeah. Like They they do it differently, which is great, you know? Yeah. But the people who do, and you know, I think one of the things about the tours, which I learned, I didn't think I was going to like it when I did my first one. Mm -hmm. I, I envisioned, you know, the... Guy with the microphone, and this is the leaning tower of pizza. But it wasn't like that because, I, yeah, I set up these immersion tours, mm-hmm. and people who do normal tours, especially the ones who do the European wine tours where you stay at one villa for the whole time, mm-hmm. we didn't stay anywhere at one time. We just went every day. Get in the bus. We're going, we're going to have a cooking class. We're going to learn how to make, you know, pasta con sardo and cavatelli with a little guy in this little place in a basement and Mm -hmm. those are the kind of things even in new orleans you know we we hung out we we did a red beans and rice night which was great you know we we saw rebirth jazz band in a sweaty club i mean i wanted to make them feel like they live there and that those are the kind of tours that are hard to explain to a younger person we had one couple come that were in their 30s and it blew them away and they Mm -hmm. said we thought we were going to hate it but we wanted to go because it was you I said, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went and said, oh, my God, I, it was a farm to table. It was not just a farm to table. It was a, a human to human kind of experience. Right. You know? yeah. And those are the things that are, are priceless, because when you go on your own, because my son and his wife do, the, they travel all over the world. And he said, it's, it's almost impossible to get like a grandmother to let you in her kitchen unless she's getting paid. <laughs> right, right. And we go on the tour, you know, she's getting her two or 300 euro. Yeah. And she's going to make ricotta fritters. But then I go in the kitchen and hang out with her in my broken Italian. And suddenly we're in love, mm-hmm. you know, and she knows my grandmother came from the town next door and we're in love even more. Mm-hmm. And the guests get this love experience, which is just great. And I, I talk to these people on Facebook every day, every day. Oh, they, that's they, awesome. They, when I'm doing my Facebook lives, I see, you know, Carmelo Alessi and Pierre, uh, <laughs> Pierre Spoto, like saying, good job, chef, grande chef, you know, so they're watching my videos from Sicily, which is great, awesome. you know, really fun. Yeah. Someday we should go. I, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. My passport's current. Yeah. Yeah, so is mine. Yeah. So is mine. Well, this was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's so nice to see you and catch up with you. We're going to get out to the West Coast, maybe, if Sicily doesn't happen, we're going to drive out in the fall, because my family in LA, mm-hmm. and if we drive out, I'll drive up. To okay. me, what is it, five hours? No, it's more than that. It's yeah, like eight about hours, five, seven, five, hours. six hours from LA. Yeah. You know, Pacific Coast Highway is my favorite road yeah, it's beautiful. in the world. I have friends, and mm-hmm. make it a trip, you know? Great. Yeah. Well, you know everybody. Like not way? enough anymore i feel like i'm losing touch i need to no. i need to reestablish. you know you need to come out more than once it's been a while you know yeah 
I need to get I need to get over there. I need to go visit some friends in Maine and see some family and Aren't you a Philly girl? I am. Yeah. I am. They just did um Marcus Samuelson is doing a show, right? No passport required. Mm-hmm. No okay. This is not hard feelings, but I shopped a show called Eating the Neighborhood, which was exactly the same show about three years ago about going into a particular ethnic community and hanging out with people. But Marcos Marcus is Marcus. He's way above me in in stature and and he's doing a great job. Yeah, it's just timing and connections. And who you are, right. Yeah. But he did South Philly. Yeah. He did the whole thing with the Italians in South Philly, which was kind of fun. Yeah. And you could tell the South Philly people were they were great. Mm-hmm. But they weren't used to having a black guy in their kitchen. Mm-hmm. It was a little, you know, yeah, 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 you know. So we got a lot of people come here, you know, all kinds of people. <laughs> I got all kinds of friends. It was hysterical, you know, because you can kind of feel that little vibe going. He also did one with the uh, the Portuguese community in New Bedford, Mass. Same kind of thing. It's like, uh-huh. yeah, but it was good. They're good. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I got to ask one more question because I got to know what this is. What the hell is Lieb for Milch? What? Oh, boy, you really read my Seriously? stuff, huh? Seriously? Lieb for so, Milch. Lieb for Milch is a sweet white from Germany. It comes in the... You never drank Blue Nun? Like the castle. Yeah, Blue Nun. Look, they look really kind of a gothic looking bottle. I've Black seen bottles, Blue Nun, bottles. but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I've never heard of Lieb for Milch. So when we were kids, everybody drank sweet wine. It was the 70s, and you put it in your bong, and you drank, like, we had Lake <laughs> Niagara and Boone's Farm. You know, the chugging sweet that's wine, right? Boone's Farm, Sangria. Mm-hmm. Strawberry the, Hill. Yeah, 78. That's and, of course, I was a, a burgeoning foodie, so I was introduced to Milch, which from a friend of mine who was – his brother was actually a chef at a Yale high-end restaurant – he knew we liked sweet wine, and he turned us on. We were at his house, and we drank for milch. And it wasn't blue nun, but it was like it. But it had a right. very, right. I mean, the bottle. It looked like something out of a museum. It was just, yeah. and Black Tower is one of the other ones, right? And they have the, I mean, it, it's it's just funky, but it's just a sweet pounder. Okay. Mother's milk. It means mother's milk, which is sweet. Oh, oh right. Okay, yeah. milch. You know the story of glutamates, right? Do you read uh, Michael Michael Pollan's books? Yeah. He was talking about how you develop glutamate from, uh, you can develop glutamate from cooking uh, mirepoix very slowly or mushrooms very slowly. And the chemical reaction that happens is identical to mother's milk. Sugar and glutamates are in mother's oh. milk. So when you cook a mirepoix for making a sugo really slowly and you put a little salt on the onions and carrots and they, they develop their own sugars that's got a very similar uh, chemical characteristic as mother's milk. So ultimately, wow. a McDonald's hamburger is just mother's milk in disguise. <laughs> Salt and sugar, baby. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, very fun. Yeah, mm. good. Well, it's great seeing you. I'm glad we did a video of so, it. Yeah, no, it's it's nice to see people when you're talking. Yeah, you know. yeah it is. And I'm trying to figure out what books you have behind you. but. Oh, my God. I have just a mess of cooking and wine and combat. yeah that is that's actually a virtual background after the cleaners came she, <laughs> she, took, she took a picture of behind her and then no, put that as her virtual background it's a mess See? and the bins all it's the bins yeah I'm like, so my, I'm my other studio before my wife took it over was the same at all my cookbooks yeah. 
but it was my son's bedroom. So I realized the first time I did a video interview, the top of the closet, there was like eight bongs up there. <laughs> so, cause, cause my son's teenager room, you know, yeah. and like Hendrix posters on the ceiling uh -huh. and, you know, That's so great. this is the quad, this is a little guest room. It's a little mellower. You know? That's been one of the funniest things seeing these people do all the, the Zoom and Skype is, is how they're setting up their little backgrounds, you know, how the, the different books that they've got behind them. And um, yes, the word curate gets a little long in the tooth after a while. I'm curating yeah. my, well, look at yours with the big glasses of tasting yeah. wine behind your head there. Right. Make sure, make sure uh -huh. it looks like you're ready to immerse yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm jealous. I'm what thirsty. What is that? Is that at Sante? Uh, I'm trying to look at the chairs. I think it's at a, it's, a, I think it's in a barn. I think it was something to do with hospice to Rhone. Oh, that could be. Yeah. 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 They could all be Rhone wines. I could tell by the depth. Yeah. By the color. <laughs> right. there's, a lot, there's a lot of Syrah behind your head right there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that won't change. Hey, yeah. Chef, one last question. Because you're into music, how, how or who picked the music in your restaurant? Like, how did you go about saying this is the music that I want want played in the restaurant. It was all you. In the Woodstock restaurant, there was a rule. Turn it on, leave it alone. Right. <laughs> the Albany restaurant was a little more of a battle because kids would switch to their own Spotify and then you'd hear the wrong music by cool people. It, to me, that was an important part of who yeah. I was. And especially being in Woodstock, and I can't tell you how many people singly came to me. David Crosby of Crosby, Sills, Nash & Young asked the manager, who programs the music? And came to the kitchen and just did a, a bow to me and went back to his table. Because you have to think about that. And, you know, I try to explain to kids, Prince is cool, but don't play three Prince songs in a row. Sneak one in. Sneak something campy in there. Try not to have too many words. Please, not too many synthesizers. And whatever you do, don't play Euro trash hotel music in my restaurant. If you guys do, I'm sorry, but I hate, I hate that. Yeah. It's like you go out, it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when you like, walked into a W hotel. Yeah, it's mind numbing, right? And, yeah. and it could be, to me, the lighting is important. What's on your walls, whether it's a lot or a little. You know, there's a, there was a movement in the late 2000s for this minimalist vibe where there's no, nothing. And right. you're sitting for an hour and a half. It's good to have things that occupy your brain. Yes. If your guest is a dullard, you know, you want to look. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we did shows, art shows for a long time. And then at a certain point, I just hired a couple of artists to curate the restaurant because... Yeah, it gets tired. Somebody bring, yeah, and somebody puts in starving children in Sri Lanka. It's like, you know, we can't yeah. have that in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put away your American Express card. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought, the mu I thought the music was a really important, really important part of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. and, and having old, new, uh, a lot of campy, like, uh, you know, older recordings, a lot of world music from different places mixed in with stuff that you recognize, but not, not too much of one thing. And that was the problem with Pandora. It's like, okay, now we're going to hear... Iron and Wine and 70 other bands that sound just like Iron and Wine. Right. And it's like, if you don't like Iron and Wine, you're yeah, going to have a shitty stop. time. Let me yeah. give you a little Trini Lopez in the middle there just to break the ice, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, you got to make the playlist. But then the problem is people that are working five days a week, yeah, after a while, yeah. they're, they're like, they know exactly what song is coming next. We put right in our employee manual. Our, our, our basic, our, our company mantra was everyone seeks happiness. We create it. 
So our whole thing was about making people happy. Mm. I cared that you knew proper service, but if you didn't, you would want to learn it because you wanted to make your customers happy. Mm. Most important thing was make people happy. And one of the other things in our mantra was, the music is not for you, sorry. 10 o'clock, play what you want. The music is the menu. You don't change my menu, you don't change my music. Right. Nice. Oh, are you the same way? I see. I I used to pick the music for Sandra. I think she allowed me after a while and saw what after, I was. But in the beginning, they were definitely like my CDs, and I had I was very very specific. And then I got yeah. too much pressure from some people. Yeah, yeah. especially as you generally hit the generational shift, and they're like, exactly. Yeah, but but I would always say, look at your customers. Most right. of your customers are over 40. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, that's a, a funny thing to touch on before we mm -hmm. close down. My partner at the Bistro was 10 years older than me, and I'm 60. Mm -hmm. And last year, we had a meeting about updating what we do. And we were yeah. busy. We were doing good numbers. We didn't drop off. We plateaued a bit after 10 years but or nine years, but we were doing great numbers, great profit, great loyalty. Never got under a five-star review except for on, online. So we averaged four and a half, which was great. And we had a couple of younger assistant managers saying that, you know, we need to do more, can I say hipster food? Mm -hmm. And I looked at Annette and she looked at me and I said, how many years more do you have to do? She goes, I don't know, five. She's 70. I said, yeah, I've got like 10. I said, let's just do what we're doing. Let them take yeah. over when we're done. Why, why yeah. reinvent it now? Right. Aside from the fact that most of the people I know that run more of a quote unquote hipstery kitchen have shitty check averages. <laughs> We'll share the cauliflower wings right. and then we'll exactly. share the seitan exactly. appetizer yeah. and have three beers and get out. You know, mm -hmm. um, I still like the appetizer entree and dessert crowd because mm -hmm. you can pay your bills with that, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. So power to us. Yeah. Exactly. And a bottle all of right. wine. All right. all right. Well, thanks. Chef, good luck with all your future. Uh, what yeah, is it? So Sandra? Cool. Quib? Squib? Orlando. Quibble? Quibby. Quibby. Netflix. Look we'll on Quibby, I guess. Um, what is your Facebook page for people? I think we'll send them there. Well, I mean, it's my name is Rick Orlando without a K. So I'm Chef Rick Orlando on Instagram and Chef Rick Orlando on Twitter and Chef Rick Orlando on YouTube and just Rick Orlando on Facebook. Okay. And the website is Chef is Rick Orlando. So yeah, I'm around. I'm easy to find. Okay. All right. If you want to check out some of our uh, past episodes, you can... Hit us up on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Sandra's personal favorite, Himalaya, uh, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. So you want Apple Podcasts or no? Apple, Apple Podcasts, no brainer. Okay, just because I have it on my phone. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I'll, I'll subscribe. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and leave us a little review, especially of this one. That'd be good. Yeah, always. <laughs> all of them. You know, reviews are how you get listened, right? It's all about getting those reviews. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah, we're trying. There's these weird you're, Facebook you're groups called. Uh, eighty-seven, I think. Eighty-eight. Oh, wow! Wow! Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. We're, That's we're, a lot. Yeah. I think I'm about twenty-five or thirty. You know, we're how trying. often do you how often do you drop them? Uh, every Friday. That's great. Every Friday. And by the way, and we drop them at Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Shout out to the Podfather in Chicago. Yeah. yeah hey, good hi for you. Ed. Yeah. I don't I know like if it. he listens to them though. He probably won't hear this. Shout out to him. Well, I'll probably send him my show and say, will you sign me up, dude? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I would. He would. Probably yeah. would. Yeah. Good. I'll look it up. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Great so day. I'm going to go cook my wife dinner. 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, and guys, I'm going to go ahead and end it because I'm jumping in the shower and heading to the hotel. Ooh, Have I'm fun. so happy for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go put on my gloves and mask and get to it. Uh, go ahead, Batman. <laughs> All right, I'm going to click the leave button. Okay. Ready? All right, bye, bye guys. So hard to say goodbye. Goodbye. Good night, Jeff. <laughs>